This podcast is supported by an educational grant by Bosch Health, made available through the CDA Corporate Supporter Program. Dermatology was at the forefront of recognizing this new disease that has changed our lives. And again, we learned that the skin is really the window to what's going on inside. Well, that's Dr. Ron Vender, the founder and director of Dermatrials Research Incorporated and Venderm Innovations in Psoriasis. He's our guest in this episode of JCMS Author Interviews. I'm your host, Kirk Barber. I'm the editor-in-chief of the journal Cutaneous Medicine and Surgery, and I'm a clinical professor of medicine at the University of Calgary. Today, uh, we're going to be discussing uh, an article on COVID-19, um, Lessons from the First Wave of the Pandemic, Skin Features of COVID-19 can be divided into inflammatory and vascular patterns that Dr. Vander and his co-author published in our March-April 21 issue. Now, I'm also going to ask Dr. Bender to help us understand an upcoming article of his related to his uh, survey of his psoriasis patients with regard to vaccination in one of our upcoming issues. I also want to remind you that this article is available free on the JCMS website outside of the paywall for the next three weeks. So without further ado, my interview with Dr. Bender. Ron, welcome to the podcast. I'm, I'm really keen to have this conversation with you. It's always fun. Kurt, thank you very much for having me on this podcast. It's uh, my first that I have participated in, in terms of speaking. I've listened, to, of course, to a, a lot of podcasts. So listen, uh, we're going to look at a couple articles, all COVID related. We've been through the first wave. We've been through the second wave. We've been through the third wave, or we're going through it, the third wave, I guess. But the drill here is that your article was about the first wave of the pandemic and that first few months. And I thought that article really put together very succinctly what dermatologists are going to see in patients that were COVID positive. So what drove you to do this? Where'd you get your information and what did you find out? What prompted the article was the fact that, again, dermatology was deemed to be very important and almost at the again at the forefront of recognizing this new disease that have has changed our lives and what again you know we learned throughout our uh, dermatology residency and throughout our career is that the the skin is really the the window to what's going on inside and it gives very clue uh, a lot of clues and it allows us to to help uh, patients and friends that uh, may have skin lesions that we can identify. And as I've said many times before, I believe that dermatologists were really, I think, truly a very special type of specialist. We're, we're really the true, I think, the true, true specialist. Because when we look at skin lesions that People think it's like a bruise or like a hive or like a macular papular eruption or the most interesting thing you've ever seen. And we can look at it and say, okay, you know, this is this is something vascular that's going on. This is something inflammatory that's going on. And we know that that is not the primary lesions or the primary problem, but maybe there's something going on inside. Maybe there's something that is a clue. And it all started off with the COVID toes, didn't it? Mm-hmm. Where patients were coming in and saying, look, I have this bruising on my toes. I've never had it before. And then 
we dermatologists were putting two and two together and I say, but you know, you look so sick and they said, yeah, I have this fever and we didn't really know. And I think that's when things started to get together. And then we saw, of course, the people with COVID those that had nothing. Exactly. So maybe they had nothing. Maybe they were simply asymptomatic. Uh, maybe they were eliciting this immune response to the initial virus uh, encounter and were the maybe asymptomatic uh, COVID patients. We don't really know. And we hopefully, it would have been nice to be able to correlate to say that those that had uh, COVID toes, uh, we know that they would be asymptomatic, but there really was a mix between the two. So it wasn't, it wasn't that simple, but you, you know, this started in February and March when the weather was colder in Canada. So you think, Oh, maybe you have Raynaud's, maybe you have chillblains, you know, maybe that's what it is. And then when you talked to the patient and took a history, it didn't really fit with that. So we said, hold on, these patients are sick. Uh, some of them are sick. And so maybe this is, we're going to just call it COVID toes. Well, we had the advantage, of course, of, of the Europeans already having experienced a lot of this. And we could look at what their experience was. And But I really like the article, the way it separated out the type 1 and type 2. That sort of, this is an inflammatory versus a vascular pattern. And that seemed to be the way that things split themselves out. Now, is it the same for the second wave, do you think? And the same for the third wave? It. I think that we're seeing less of this. Now, why are we seeing less of this? Is it we meaning the dermatologist or dermatologists seeing less of it? Because family doctors are recognizing, emergency personnel are recognizing, and are the patients being tested more rapidly and more frequently as well? Certainly the public is aware of any kind of uh, fevers or chills or smiled shortness of breath, they're, they're going and they're being tested. And I think that, you know, as I heard today from infectious disease specialists, you, you know, they're being tested not for themselves because it doesn't matter if they're positive or negative, they still have to be treated, but they're being tested to really protect others in a way, because as soon as they find out that they are positive then they quarantine themselves. And that's not for them, it's for others. And that shows a little bit of nice human nature, unselfishness in a way. And I think people don't think of, of testing that way. And so whether they have, you know, the type one inflammatory or the, or the type two vascular, and they recognize and patients, I don't think really understand, but they know when they have rashes or spots that come up, uh, that something may be wrong, and they go to get tested, they want to know themselves, but if they're asymptomatic, but I, I think that they may not realize that they're doing it for somebody else. It's really to protect other people and to stop this type of, of outbreak to happen and, and to protect their family members. I, I'm not really sure patients truly realize that that's, that's what they're really doing. Well, you know, in, in my practice, what I've seen is a lot of family doctors sending in photographs. And it's often of this, what you and I would have called a viral exanthem. Mm -hmm. And you have to say, yeah, 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 this is probably a viral exanthem, medication history, that sort of thing. But at the end of the story, I'm always saying, well, what's their COVID test? You know, they should really go for a COVID test. And and I, as I'm saying that, I'm thinking to myself, man, am I overcalling this? Um, but I guess in the in the in the sense of this pandemic and with rising cases, I'm not. But to your point, um, 
you know, it, 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 I should preface this with, listen, if these people want to protect others and their family, they should really go get a test um, because diagnostically it's not important. So exactly. And I think that, you know, it's important now for finding subtypes and variants and, and so forth for for study purposes and to see how things are going and see if you're a super spreader or not. But I think that that dermatologists, uh, in at least in community practice, are seeing less and less of this, probably because the family practitioners are recognizing it more and more. But it was the dermatologist that uh, realize that this was a manifestation of early COVID. It wasn't just fever. It wasn't just shortness of breath. Uh, it wasn't uh, just uh, general malaise, but it was this uh, type of, a, of uh, either uh, more macular papular rash, morbilliform eruption, or vascular lesions that occurred. And uh, I'm not aware that this was associated with any worse prognosis either which is which is good okay so we have these people with their rashes and we get called about them and we say go get your covid test and now we're talking about vaccine and i, I wanted to take a minute because you've put a couple of other really nice pieces together uh, about this pandemic uh, related to your group of psoriasis patients and related to their thoughts on vaccination and and, and i know it's a bit off topic but we've published it. We're going to publish more from you on this. So maybe you could enlighten us, give us a bit of a heads up on what you've discovered in this population of psoriatics that are on biologic therapy and what, what's their thought on vaccination and the, the avoidance of, these, of this illness. So as we know, vaccination, which uh, has been a difficult rollout in, in Canada, um, although we, you know, we certainly compared to, um, to other countries. However, vaccination is key and patients need to get vaccinated. It's not mandatory. However, I, I'm not sure. And what prompted me to investigate this was uh, patients' confusion. So before the vaccine even came out and we knew a vaccine was going to come out and we knew, we thought scientifically these were going to be killed vaccines. I remember telling patients, and this became a confusion that started with the zoster vaccine, that it was a, a live attenuated vaccine. And patients, we told them, do not get do not get the vaccine of the shingles unless you're off your biologic, it'll work better, um, and so forth. And then the newer killed vaccine, the newer generation killed vaccine came out. And then patient says, well, I can't get the shingles vaccine. I said, now you can. I thought you told me you couldn't. And they got very, very confused. So what prompted is, is I, I had, we had, I had permission from all my patients that we were able to obtain email addresses early in the pandemic due to the virtual nature of the visits is that we had consent to be able to send them notices and to send them uh, questionnaires. Uh, they, they had consented to that. 
And so I did a, a search in my uh, EMR of uh, patients the, at the early time that we had email addresses. Now, I, I recently checked my EMR for the total number of patients that I have in my EMR for all diseases and also the total number of psoriasis patients I had. Now, I thought I had a lot of psoriasis patients, and I, I guess I do. And I asked another colleague, and I said, how many psoriasis, someone who deals, deals a lot with psoriasis and biologic, I said, how many biologic patients do you think you have? And um, she answered, I don't know, maybe like 3,000. I said, Wait, I think you have to have more than that. And and I, I searched my EMR and I found out I had 3,700 or so psoriasis patients. And I'm like, I really thought I had more than that because we see people over and over. So I was thinking, you know, maybe we had more. So 3,000, over 3,700 distinct. Now, this was early on. We didn't have everybody's email addresses. So at that time, we had 661 patients with email addresses is, is, is what we had. And we sent them a Google Forms type of survey, something very, very easy. And, you know, we just asked them, you know, what's the bottom line? Like, you know, do, do you know what a live vaccine is? Do you know what a killed vaccine is? Do you know if you can take a live or a killed vaccine? And then sort of to get a, an idea, we had uh, patients that we wanted to have a control group. So those were the non-biologics, uh, non-biologics. Uh, so we, we looked at biologics and non-biologics. And we were able to, to, to separate them because we sent them out at different times. And so we didn't, we weren't, we didn't have to, to data mine and, and get the, to find out what they were on. And we asked if they got a flu shot or not. And uh, when you when you looked at the the study group, when you looked at the study group and the control group of of psoriasis and not, uh, it didn't seem to matter if they were on biologics or not. We thought that maybe a biologic patient would think because of increased upper respiratory tract infection, which if you want to talk about later, we can because I'm not really sure that we're going to see as much of that as we thought we did in, in the clinical studies, right? In the clinical studies, always upper URTI and nasopharyngitis is number one. I think that's going to be decreased. But we we see this patient of those of biologics and not biologics, 60% of them said that they don't even get the flu shot and no reason given. We didn't need a reason. And whether they were on biologics, uh, whether they're on biologics or not. And then we asked, did you understand the difference between live and killed vaccines? And uh, we, we, had, we had about, uh, about 25% of the all respondents just, they were really unsure. They, they were really, really unsure. And those that said, yes, you know, I, I do understand, that was, the, that was the control group. And about 30% of them said, yeah, I, I, I know what a, I know what a, uh, what a live uh, and a, a killed vaccine is. I know the difference. And then, and then, uh, and then you took the biologic patients and they said, more of them said, yes, I know the difference because you would assume that they would have been educated by the dermatologists, which happened to be me, uh, uh, the difference between a live and a killed vaccine. Cause I would say, okay, you could take the flu vaccine. It's killed. Uh, you shouldn't take yellow fever and so forth. But it is humbling, isn't it? When you mm-hmm. look at those numbers and you think, well, 100% of my patients know because I told them. Right. And, and then they you go back and say, what do you remember about what I told you? And, mm-hmm. you know, you get less than you might be happy with as far as a, a response. So so then, you you know, so so we had, we said, okay, just in general, you know, do you know what the difference between a live and a killed vaccine? 
So let's just say, let, let's just let, let's take a number of like, let's just take about 35% of them says, yep, I know the difference. So then what we did is we said, we asked them, we say, okay, is a flu shot a live vaccine or not? And so here's where we have a problem. We have about 20% of all respondents, regular psoriasis or, or, um, or biologic patients, 20% of them said, yep, it's a live vaccine. And then we had between 30 to 35% of them that said, nope, it's not a live vaccine, which is the correct answer. But you had 50% that were unsure. And that is the problem. Whether you get it right or wrong, okay, that's your answer. You want to try and educate those that got it wrong. But the unsure, meaning that maybe they're not listening to me, but I know I'm telling them because I have it documented and I say it every time that they come and I remind them about the flu shot and they go, you told me I couldn't get the flu shot. No, I said you could get the flu shot. So what's the fix? So the fix is really educating these patients to say, okay, do you know what? This season, let's say it's the summer and and we were not in a pandemic and the summer comes and you know, flu shots are coming out. You, that's the time to educate the patient to say, you know what? You can take the flu shot. It's okay. And now during the pandemic with the biologic patients, um, we are, uh, seeing them during their visit, whether it be virtual uh, by video or telephone, and most of mine are by telephone and not by video because patients have a difficulty with the video, or by telephone, I am telling every patient that being on a biologic uh, for their psoriasis, I'm not talking about, you know, rituximab or other skin diseases. We're just, I'm just talking about psoriasis, which is my Uh, patient population, that they are able to take uh, the uh, vaccine uh, from uh, any of the vaccines of the four vaccines that are presently, well, we have three that are approved, but uh, hopefully four soon that they can take any one of those. But you have to be careful. You have to be careful. And uh, my my receptionist says, can I just give that as a blanket statement if someone calls and says, can I use the vaccine? And my answer was no. Uh, I have to really look at the individual patient. Why is that? Well, some are on methotrexate as well. And so for methotrexate, I'd like them to miss uh, uh, at, uh, at least a week after. Uh, some people are saying two weeks, but I think a week after based on the guidelines to miss a week after. So if they're on that, uh, others are on prednisone as well from the rheumatologist. Most luckily are on low dose are on low dose uh, prednisone as well. And then um, I have some patients that are uh, on uh, on a therapy for HIV and I'm not familiar with that, with those drugs as well. I don't know if, uh, if they're allowed. And so even though they're on a biologic for their psoriasis, I say there's no, you know, the way I say it is that we, it has not been studied. Uh, there's no known interactions is the way I explain it. And it is safe to take these vaccines because they're killed vaccines uh, they're considered killed. They're not really killed, but they're not live either. Right. They're, 
they're, they're neither one of those, but for all intents and purposes, we say that they're killed vaccines. And so I say that's okay, but you better check with your gastroenterologist for uh, the medication you're taking for your inflammatory bowel disease or your rheumatologist uh, and so forth. Because I, uh, even though I believe dermatologists are true specialists, we're certainly not a master of all of them, that's for sure. And we need to collaborate with our, uh, our, our, our subspecial, our specialty partners in making sure that the patients are safe and can safely take the vaccine. So um, therein lies the value of being a doctor, right? Rather than a receptionist, right? You, you know that you understand the nuances and people appreciate that. Now, would you, now that you have everybody's email address, are you considering sending out not just a follow-up survey, but notification, sort of a, a patient education piece of paper that says, you know, they can print it out. They can say, Dr. Vendor says that I can do this, this, and that. No, uh, because I, I, I think that the things need to be individualized. I think that they, that the care and the discussion needs to be individualized. And I, I'm, I always very, I'm, I'm concerned and I think it still leaves questions and it may create more phone calls. We're already having enough phone calls already. Um, patients are calling in. I'm try, I, I cannot proactively call 500 patients and tell them I can. And I don't understand what, when we call the patients and there's no answer, like, aren't they supposed to be home? They're, they're just not home. <laughs> I and I, I, I it, Especially it, early it, on when they, when they were the 70 plus, right? And yeah, thought, what, you know, isn't stay at home order mean like stay at home? Uh, I know. Stay at home, work from home. Uh, yeah, yeah. At the present time, the golf courses in Ontario are closed. So I know that they're not golfing, but right. you know, uh, Joe may be, uh, 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 you know, Joe may be sleeping uh, or in the shower or something. And uh, oh, can you the thing I ran into the most. He's shower? out for a walk. No, they're out, out for a walk. Out for yeah. a walk. Out for a walk. Can you, you call? Know what? Yes. I, 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 I do have something about elderly people out for a walk. Do you know? I, I, dis- I think I discovered something because everyone's going to expect it. If they listen to the podcast and Ron doesn't tell a joke, it's going to be bad. You know that you see a lot of elderly, especially elderly men that that walk with their hands behind their back. Do you notice that they always have their hands folded yep. behind their back? I yep. figured out what why they do that. Prince Philip. Nope, they're all retired speed skaters. I think oh. they're all retired speed skaters, and that's why they do that. I've noticed that. Uh, I do a lot of walking, so I thought that that was a uh, gives me always gives me a little chuckle. I go, oh, looks retired speed skater, and people are like, what? I go, think about a speed skater. They always have their hands behind their back. <laughs> so, um, so I'm not going to send out a uh, a blast. Uh, I think that I need it individualized. Um, I'm already having patients call proactively and and with their follow-up visits, I'm reminding them whether it's by telephone, but I'm also taking the opportunity that if they have a repeat for their biologic to speak to them at the time and say that I'm repeating your biologic, uh, verify that the uh, pharmacy is correct, of course. I, I gives me time to re-verify their dose, but more importantly, uh, counsel them regarding vaccine. And 
I don't know. I, I don't know if you have it in the same in, in your area, but I'm sure that other listeners are probably have the same question. Hey, Doc, which one would you get? Yeah. <laughs> so what do you answer to that? Carol? Oh, anyway, the first one. I, I, I've drank yeah. Kool-Aid. I, you know, whatever you can take, whatever you can get, you take. Yeah. Worry about the rest of it later, you know. Um, yeah. And it may be better to take multiple different kinds. What do we know, right? And uh, yeah. so just take the first one you can get and and uh, and don't worry about your biologic, of course. Worry a bit more about the methotrexate. Uh, uh, I'm a two-weeker so to wait from, you know, uh, from the time. Yeah, I like, I like two weeks as well. Yeah, so just get take the first one uh, you can get your hands on. We, we did send out a follow-up survey and, and when we knew that the first vaccine was approved in Canada. And, and this is early on. Things may change now, but I, I'm not going to, I don't think I'm going to investigate whether uh, at this time, uh, whether they have a preference because of the misinformation with the uh, different types of vaccines and the vascular uh, difficulties, the very rare vascular difficulties that have that have that have occurred. Uh, but we sent out another uh, another vaccine. We sent out at this time we sent out five hundred and five hundred and sixty of them. Uh, for some reason, our numbers went down a little bit. Uh, maybe we had uh, a bit of kickback uh, from uh, some of the address, uh, some of the email addresses. And we asked them uh, if they were going uh, to take uh, the, the COVID-19 vaccine or the coronavirus vaccine, which is really what it is. So uh, we out about 560, uh, about 75 of them said, nope, not taking it. I had a guy today, he goes, Dr. Vendor, no way, no, how am I taking any vaccine? I do not take vaccines. And then we have other people that say, I want to wait a little bit more to see how things go. I said, well, there's 17 million that have got vaccines. It, would you be happy at 18 million? Or you know, what number are you happy with? And you know, he's like, I, I just don't know. Uh, and we had about, well, we had half of them, about uh, more than half of the patients said that they would take, uh, they would take the vaccine. And only, uh, only half. No. 75, about 75 out of 560 patients said they would not take it. Oh, okay. Only 75. Okay, so 20%-ish. Yeah. yeah. And we have about 315 said, yeah, they would. So over, okay. over half said they would take it. Okay, so so 20% will be, won't take it because they don't need it or for whatever reason. And the you know, 80% of people will take it. Now, this was early on. This was before the big, this was before the the delay of the of, of the dosing. This was before the uh, AZ, A, oh, sorry, AZ and uh, J&J uh, potential adverse yeah. events uh, that occurred um, that may, this, this may change now. Uh, it's very simple to send out another one. Uh, I seem to have good responses. Yeah, well, you seem to have a, a collection of people that uh, probably have been in biologics for some time. Uh, you've spoken to more than once. And and that bit about vaccine hesitancy, the, the way around it is always through a trusted 
friend, uh, a physician, uh, or colleague. So uh, you fit in a tr trusted uh, friend, likely colleague, um, no, but uh, physician for sure. Because you know we've been looking after these folks for, I mean, how many years? When did we get the first biologic? I mean, it's got to be coming up twenty years. I think so. You know, yeah. so you know, we, many of these folks we've had on medicines for that entire time. Um, and they've been in our practices. So so you do develop a friendship and certainly they trust you because these drugs themselves were always new, right? And they were first immunosuppressive. We have to worry about infection. And now they're sophisticated enough that I'm not sure that talking about the side effect profile of these medicines is, is something that we really need to do very much of. I don't want to be glib about it, but, and I do make those discussions, but it's a lot less uh, um, intense a discussion than it was in 2005 or 2005. Absolutely, absolutely. And I, I still think that uh, patients uh, on biologics and a lot of times we're asked, you know, do, would you hesitate in using or starting a biologic during this pandemic and knowing what you know. And actually, based on what I know, I'm actually more excited and feel that I, I would like to start more patients on it, knowing to the uh, potential scientific benefits that these biologics could have, un unproven, of course. Uh, but it seems that these, uh, from even from as early early part of the pandemic in March when an article was released on the cases in New York that found that the majority of the patients that were on biologics remained ambulatory and not hospitalized, and those that were on systemics like methotrexate and JAK inhibitors, which we don't use in uh, for skin psoriasis, uh, we do use for psoriatic arthritis, but not skin psoriasis. Uh, but in terms of the biologics that we use for skin psoriasis, we found that uh, these patients remain more ambulatory, may remain asymptomatic, and usually do not have a prolonged or more protracted course or more severe course and, and are not more prone to getting uh, COVID-19. And as we know, that's likely because of its effect on the cytokine storm that we love to use, that term we love to use, the storm, the cytokine storm. Well, and the other thing, of course, is their psoriasis is better. So, so yeah. Reduces inflammation and all those sorts of things we discuss uh, as well. And uh, um, it's been uh, it's been an adventure learning about all this. Um, and the idea is with regard to um, psoriasis, um, if we can get the inflammation down, we get people under control. Instead of going in, having 30, 40, 50% body surface area involvement, they have nothing. You can't, it just makes common sense that they're going to do better with other illnesses. It just, I just can't imagine that that wouldn't be the case. So it, ha it has to be. I mean, we're, we're seeing this overall, and I try to explain to the patient that their immune system is not being lowered. And I think that we are getting questions now, uh, at least here in Ontario, uh, their patients are not trying to, but 
it's almost like a, a little fight for the vaccine, isn't it? How how can I get the vaccine earlier for those that want to get the vaccine? Maybe that's reminiscent of the of the food lines that happened during World War II or something. You know, how can I how can I get in? And we find that in this in this in this world that bypassing or going to the front of the line has very severe consequences. Now, this is not to be fooled with, and and has, uh, as we say, front page of the of the newspaper, isn't it? And we always say front page of the Globe and Mail all the time, isn't that isn't that true? We always say never the National Post, or it's always the front page of the Globe and Mail. Only in uh, Eastern Canada, right? Okay, so the front page of the National Post, but you know they they. You don't want to you don't want to bypass the line, uh, but patients are calling and saying, since I'm on an immunosuppressant, I would qualify to get the vaccine earlier. Can you help me with that? And it's difficult to explain to them that you know you're yeah, but you told me I have more risk of common cold and and that and I have a harder time fighting infections, but I didn't say that your immune system is lowered. I explain it as a normalization of the immune system that they that in in their skin disease and psoriasis they they have an increase in TNF IL seventeen IL twenty three IL twelve twenty three uh, other other uh, other cytokines and that that it's increased and and the biologic normalizes it and yes sure sure there are specific as we know with anti IL seventeens with uh, candidiasis but that's very very specific that's very specific just for candida i mean it's specific and we know about tuberculosis and the tnf inhibitors and and so forth that's again very specific and there's very good evidence that the anti-il-17s do not cause a reactivation of latent tb and the anti-il-23s as well however we still we still tend to screen them because you never know when you may switch. But this confuses patients. They they think that they're now they're more prone to this new disease. And oh yeah, we 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 stressed it. You mm-hmm. get a lower infection. Now now you alluded to earlier about the nasopharyngitis story. I mean, early on we said, well, you know, maybe some of these drugs cause an increase in nasopharyngitis. Maybe we have to be more fussy about uh, coronavirus. Um, is it been the fact that we've we've a whole? I mean, flu has disappeared. Sure, the pharyngitis will disappear too. Uh, I I think that pharyngitis in our in the at least in the clinical trials are going to disappear. People still, I still have they call. Oh, I feel like I have a sore throat. I got COVID tested. I'm negative. Okay, good. So maybe you do have a dry throat. Maybe it's allergies. Uh, I don't know. Maybe it's a a a, a bacterial. Uh, a bacterial pharyngitis, uh, a sore throat. But I don't think we're going to see a lot of strep throat. Everybody should be wearing masks, staying away from other people and washing your hands and not touching your face. I mean, that's what we're all supposed to do. So how do people get COVID then? Because they're not doing one of those things. It has to be. And how did, and how did people get common colds? Because we sat on planes the guy from behind us was coughing and we were like, oh, God, a sick guy. And sure enough, you got off the plane. You felt OK. Three days later, you're sick. If we didn't wear masks soon enough, did we? No. Looking back, we look back and, and you know, as we've traveled to Asia and we've seen people uh, in in Korea, for example, where I traveled and lots of people on the street wearing masks pre-COVID. And I didn't quite understand it until this episode. And. I understand it now as a 
as a method of showing respect to me. And yeah. and it's a great and lovely cultural thing. And I think probably we'll get there. I totally agree. And I think that in the clinical trials for 2020 and 2021, this treatment emergent or, or adverse events that were commonly seen like upper respiratory tract infection and nasopharyngitis are, are going to be, should be zero. It really, it really should be zero or close to zero. And I think that, that, that will change. And I, unfortunately, I think we're going to be wearing masks for a, a long period of time. Even if the pandemic's over, I can't see people like, that's it, throw the mask and burn them off. Uh, people are going to be, are going to uh, be more aware and be more, be more respectful. And one way, as, as we've seen many times, and I, I still remind uh, my patients, it's, yes, the mask is, is so that you don't get sick, but the, also the mask is so that I don't get sick. And, and I think that, I, as I mentioned earlier on in the podcast, it is sort of respect for others. But I'm not sure people think about that. I think they think the mask is just to protect them. But that's not that's not true. I think it's a I think the inside of the mask is to protect them and the outside of the mask is to protect everybody else. Maybe Um, it's certainly accepted now. And I think it looks very, very strange. Somebody not wearing a mask. The hard part is, I mean, I haven't I didn't shake anybody's hands for a year. But, you know, sometimes when I have just before I'm about to do surgery or biopsy and I have my gloves on, I'll shake I'll shake the person's hands. And I'm like, wow, it feels good again. Yes. The handshake is gone. Yeah. Gone. We're not going to be doing that anymore. Okay. Listen, this has been fun. Thank you. Uh, Appreciate your insights into this. You've got a huge psoriasis practice. And this clearly will inform inform the rest of us as to how we should manage this uh, thing. And I guess one of the biggest lessons, of course, is patients are listening, but they may not be hearing. And they may not be processing. And just tell your story, tell your story, tell your story over and over and over and over again. Uh, that redundancy and repetition is important. I, I agree. And you know that we always have these elderly couples that seems to be that come into the room together. And, and usually it's the, it's, it's, it's the, 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 the wife that hears everything and the husband that doesn't. And, and the husband says, she, she's my ears because he, she, he says, I don't hear very well. Mm-hmm. And I said, I, I don't want you to hear. I want you to listen. And uh, hearing is one thing, but listening is another. But I'm glad that you have somebody with you. And I still accept that in the rooms with me if they need care. And I, I think that that's important because the patients uh, need to hear. But they, more importantly, like you said, they, they really need to listen. And not only listen is understand. And if it takes several times to have the patient and they call back and they're not sure, then I'm happy to speak to them. Uh, I, I just, you know, for overall good health. This this has been a fun, uh, my first podcast. Uh, and it won't be my last, that's for sure. Thank you. So You're very welcome. Okay. That's Dr. Ron Vender, a dermatologist in Hamilton, Ontario, and the founder and director of Dermatrials Research and Venderm Innovations in Psoriasis. Well, that's it for this episode of the JCMS Author Interviews podcast. I hope you enjoyed your time with us. 
Please be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Remember that these articles are outside of the paywall for the next three weeks. Share this with your colleagues and on social media. I'm Kirk Barber. Thanks so much for listening. And until next time, be good to each other.